The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Robbie Gallaty of Replicate led a track called Creating and Sustaining a Disciple Making Movement. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. Now here's today's track session. Okay, okay, so um, first off, does anybody in here like spin? Take spin class? Okay, I asked that the other day in a session and like nobody raised their hand. I'm like, does nobody take spin class? Like, okay, so I work out at the YMCA um, in our town and we have spin. So just stay with me for a minute because I'm gonna explain to you how this class works and what the Lord showed me about discipleship when I was in there one day. Um, so I take it, there's like 30 minute classes, 45 minute and hour classes. I'm a 30 minute person. I wanna get in and out, work hard and I'm done. And so the bikes, they're kind of new. And I don't know if any of you like work out at the Y, if you take spin, if your bikes are like this or not, but they're digital. And so you walk in and you sit down and you program the little screen that's there. You know, you put, you know, how old you are, how much do you weigh, how many hours a week do you do cardio? And it calibrates the bike um, to adjust to your personal ride, okay? Now that little screen is also a light. And so the light changes as you are working throughout the class. So when you get in there and it's on just the regular light, which is white. So you're just riding, but you're no resistance, no speed really. It's just you're kind of riding, not a big deal. You're doing nothing basically. Um, then you go from white to blue. All right, so blue is your warm up. So you're pedaling a little faster. You may have a little bit of resistance on there. So it's a little, not even challenging, but you're working. You're starting to work, but you're warming up. And then you go from blue to green. Now green is your fat burning zone. So that's the zone you really want to be in the majority of the class. And so at that point, you can still have a conversation and you're, you're doing okay, but it is definitely working. You're working and that's kind of where you want to sit for most of the class. You go from green to yellow. Yellow is definitely you're pushing it, and, uh, but you're, it's not hard to maintain. So you can push there, but you wouldn't be there the whole entire class in the yellow. And then you finally get to red. Now, red is your anaerobic state. So, I mean, you're, you're all out sprinting. I mean, you're riding hard and there's no way you should be in red for not even, you're only supposed to be in red for 4% or less of the class, the whole entire class. Now, at the end of the class, you press the button and it tells you all of your percentages in each color. So if you were more than 4% in red, then you didn't put in the right information or you need to really bump it up because you should not be able to hold that state very long. You really wanna see your green percentage as your highest percentage of the class. You can also have blue and yellow, but green is the steady fat burning zone. So I'm in there one day and I'm riding, you know, and all these people and you can't fake it because you all have a light on your bike, right? Unless you turn your light off, you have that option. But I mean, who wants to turn the light off? You know, you wanna see what everybody's doing. And so at the end of it, I'm looking at my percentages and then it just kind of hits me that that is exactly how discipleship works. Like when we get saved, most of us are on extreme fire for the Lord. And I mean, we're telling everybody that we can about the Lord, what he's done for us, how he saved us, what he saved us from. But somewhere along the way, we don't stay in that state. We don't just stay on fire like that. We kind of simmer down and we get to this like even place. 
And that's what I think discipleship does for us. It prevents us from going really, really high and really, really low. It keeps us in that, what I like to call that spiritual fat burning zone of spiritual health. Um, we're just on a steady ride. Um, we're seeking, we're growing, but it keeps us kind of stable. All the while we're doing this with people that we're walking alongside of life with, we're journeying with. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, that's kind of pretty cool, like to be in spin class and then have like a discipleship analogy. But that's really what I thought. And the, the thing I love about spin is like I have all these people that I'm riding with. And so we're all pushing one another, you know, um, challenging one another. And that's exactly how it works in our life with discipleship, the accountability um, and walking alongside of life with people. And so we, that's how I look at discipleship. It is going, it is what is going to keep me the most spiritual healthy that I can be um, as a follower of Christ. And so I hope that you, you see that as well, that um, it is not, discipleship is not just something that we do for everybody else. Like I have a discipleship group every single year because I need it. Um, I know they need it too, but I need it just as much. And so it's a regular part of my life. And I honestly can't imagine my life without it. Like it would be so foreign to me to coast through a year and not have a group that I'm ministering to and they're ministering to me. It would be really weird. Um, and so um, if that is not a regular part of your life right now, I really hope that um, it will become a, a part of your life and that's something that you will do um, for the rest of your life. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to see how do we do this by modeling our lives after him. How did he do it? Okay. So if you're taking notes, number one is going to be you need a consistent routine. We need a consistent routine. Now, at the end of Jesus's life, he's in the upper room. And he is teaching and talking to the disciples. He um, teaches them about how he's going to go and prepare a place for them. He teaches them about the Holy Spirit. Um, he prays this long prayer in John 17 on their behalf and for them. And in that prayer, in John 17, verse 4, Jesus says to God, that's really loud, isn't it? They must be doing an activity. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. um, okay, so where was I saying? Okay, so in John chat in 17 verse 4, Jesus says, I completed the work that you gave me to do. He's praying to God. He says, I've completed the work you've given me to do. So the question is, well, what is the work that he had given him to do? Um, well, it can't be the cross because that hasn't happened yet. He says, I've completed the work that you gave me to do. Well, that's not completed yet. So he's not referencing that. But if you go back and you read that prayer in John 17, and we're not going to do that um, just for the sake of time, but over 40 times he references the disciples, the men that God gave to him. I'll read just a few verses. Verse six, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Over 40 times, he's referencing the men that he discipled. So what that shows us is that his life is just as important as his death. 
what he did in his life is just as important as his death. You know, the other day I was teaching um, a group of ladies, like a cohort. They come in town a couple of times a year and we just walk with them as they're um, kind of implementing that discipleship movement in their ministries. And this lady, she is just one of these people, like she's got the best personality when it comes to like talking and um, just sharing her faith and that sort of thing. And it's like, you would never be able to take anything she says like offensive because of the way just her, the God's just given her this personality. And so she always says that her job, like if somebody asks her, what's her job? She says she's an ADM. And so we were like, well, what is an ADM? She's like authorized disciple maker. And so, and like, if she, if she gets another job, like, so she has a real job in the world that she's doing, she'll say that she has two jobs and they'll say, well, what do you do? And she's like, well, I work at this factory and I'm an ADM, you know? Well, the other day she, I just thought this was so cute. She, she's talking to this woman that she had just met at like her, her, I don't even know where they were. And she says, um, the woman says, well, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm an ADM. And she's like, well, what's that? And she said, I'm an authorized disciple maker. And she said, I've always wanted to meet one of those. And the lady was like, and, and the lady was like, she's like, are you, are you, she asked her, she's like, are you a believer, you know, in the Lord? And the woman said, yes. And she goes, well, not only have you met one, but you're one as well, you know? And I was like, that is just so cute. But she's an ADM, authorized disciple maker. I thought that is so cool. Um, and just, I thought it was precious, but okay. So anyway, back to John 17. So after Jesus prays, okay, um, he goes to the garden of Gethsemane, John chapter 18, verses one and two is what we're going to look at. John chapter 18, verses one and two. So that's the, that's where we are right now. We're about to read these verses. And while you're turning there, um, I wonder, have you ever thought or asked the question, how in the world does Judas know where to find Jesus? when he comes to betray him. Um, something that I, you know, I've thought about. Now, if you remember the last time they're together is in the upper room, okay? Where we just were talking about and Jesus prays, he washes their feet, um, they eat the last supper together. That's where the last time Judas and Jesus are together. But then all of a sudden Judas shows up at the garden of Gethsemane. How do you know, how, how did you know to come there? You know? Um, on a side note, in verse, in chapter 13, verse 27, when they're eating the last supper, and you know, Jesus says the person I dip, that dips the bread and I give the bread to is going to eat, you know, that's the one who's going to betray me. Well, that verse, verse 27 says that Judas ate the piece of bread and Satan entered him. Then it says, Jesus told him what you are doing, do quickly. And so I love this because Satan enters Judas Jesus turns to Satan and says, what you're doing, do quickly. And I thought, now this, this is a major truth. Like I love to see, and we know that Jesus is all authority is his, but like when we see in scripture, him asserting his authority over Satan, it's like he is never not in control. He's always in control. And I just love seeing that, you know, and, and being reminded, like, don't doubt for a second that he has forgotten anything or something has slipped his mind. He is fully in control and has full authority, as we see right here, him turning to Satan and saying, you know what, what you're doing, do quickly. Like, go on. Um, so that's just a little side note. But um, OK, so anyway, John 18 verses one and two. Let's look at this. After Jesus said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden 
and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So I was reading this one day in my quiet time and I thought, hmm, often met there. So more than once, often. This is something Jesus regularly did. So, which to me made the betrayal all the more worse. You know, like it's bad enough, but yet I know where you're going to be because you've taken me there multiple times. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, I wonder if it says this in any of the other gospel accounts. So I looked it up. Luke 22:39. Um, same account, different gospel. It says, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. So now we have often and we have as usual. And I'm like, man, this is good. Like we're seeing there's a pattern here, okay? Um, Jesus has a routine to his life, right? And so I started on this mission going through the gospels just to see all the different things that I could see and pull out that showed us the intentionality of Jesus. Like what did he do intentionally and where did he go? And um, I started just making a list of these. And so I wanna read some of these to you if you wanna jot them down. You can go back and look at them, but what we're getting to is we're gonna begin to see this pattern that he has, okay? So Luke 21, 37. Luke 21, 37 says, during the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. So during the day he's teaching, at night he goes out, spends the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Luke 11, 1. Luke 11, 1. He was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So we see he's praying in a certain place. Okay. Luke 9, 18. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Luke 9, 28, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 6, I love this one, 12 through 13. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them whom he also named apostles. So he's on the mountain, he's spending all night in prayer. Luke 5, 16. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Now, I love that one because he's obviously in a place where they knew to look because they search for him and they find him in one of these places. Last one that we're gonna look at today, Mark 6, 46 through 47. Mark 6, 46 through 47. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Okay, so I went through all these and were, I was underlining and I was trying not to get like duplicate accounts. You know, I wanted to see all these, all the different accounts. And there's a couple of things that we notice. We know that he goes out. So he's intentional to go find a place. He's trying to kind of get away from the distractions. He needs a peaceful place somewhere that he's not going to be, um, 
you know, in the public eye. He just kind of wants to withdraw. And so he's very intentional about that. It says he goes to deserted places. And then in every account we've seen, he prays. He, in every one, he is spending time with the Father and he's communicating with his Father. It's the desire of his heart. That's what he wants to do. Um, now, have y'all ever, you, I'm sure you've done this, but figured out what your love language is? You know the five love languages? Okay. Well, this is so funny. Okay, so there's words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, quality time, and gifts, giving gifts, right? So my husband always says that my spiritual gift is gift giving, and his spiritual gift is gift receiving. <laughs> he, he loves gifts, and um, it's so funny. I do love to give gifts, but really and truly, my one that really rises above the rest is quality time. I'm a big quality time person. And so like if Robbie and I are able to like go out to eat or just like go on a trip and you know, the, we put the phones down and we just really spend time together. Um, it doesn't even have to be really long periods of time, but just kind of that true intentional focus time, like that just fills up my love tank. You know, I'm good to go. Okay. You know, next week, let's do it again, you know, or whatever, but it's just having that time. And, and I'm like that with my mom, with my friends, you know, I'm just a quality time person. And, um, Robbie would be probably words of affirmation, you know, quality time. That's not really his thing. So we've had to like work at that, which is so good about the love language. When you figure that out and you know how you operate and tick and that sort of thing, you're really help it's that you're able to meet the other person's needs. But I've also often thought like, what if we asked Jesus what his love language is? Now he'd be all of them, right? I mean, he's got, he's got them all, but don't you think the one that rises to the top is quality time? I mean, the, the, the whole, the Bible's full of it. You know, I mean, every time, I mean, he's spending time with the disciples, you know, he spends time with God. Like he's a quality time person. Right. And so like if we're if, if he's the eternal son of God and he is doing this, how much more do we need to be men and women of quality time with him to even to be able to um, really function and survive and thrive in life? Now, I, um, I have a couple of mottos that I kind of live by. They're not really like spiritual, but it's just kind of how I operate. And so one of them is you have to manage your time or your time's going to manage you. I'm a real big, I'm big on this. I'm big on managing time. And it's, my mom says it's a problem. And um, so she and my sister, they kind of make fun of me. And they say, I'm the time warden. And so I'm like, I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, tell me. And she's like, well, you know, you, you give the time limits on everything. And I'm like, no, I don't. And she was like, yes, you do. She's like, if we go shopping, you'll say, okay, we have an hour we can be in here. And then we got to move on to this next thing. And, and she said, and then when we get to the next thing, you'll say, okay, we got 30 minutes, you know, to, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, I'm gonna pay attention and see if I really do this. And so sure enough, you know, the next time we were going somewhere here, I came out with my clock, you know, we got, you know, we got 30 minutes. And so I'm like, um, I totally do this. Like, not only do I manage my time, but I manage everybody else's time, you know? <laughs> and she's like, if you do this with me, she's like, I know you do this with your friends. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, but the reason I'm so meticulous with my time is because I don't want my schedule to manage me. Like I want to be the one that manages my schedule, right? And so I'm just very funny about that and making time for things that are a priority. And if I don't do that, like my, my life's not gonna get done. And I'm sure yours is the same thing. You have so many things to do, they're not gonna get done if you don't schedule it out, okay? And so we have to, we have to manage our time. And I will tell you in discipleship relationships and groups, I would say the majority of people that you will encounter 
in your groups do not know how to manage time. And that's okay. You know, I mean, I, I actually, some of my closest friends are friends who really don't manage their time. They're just kind of like, they wing it, you know? Um, and, and that's fine. We need both. The world needs both. But that is something you're going to have to help people do. You're going to have to walk alongside of them. Like, how do they manage their time to even fit into quiet time? You know, I mean, I've had ladies come to me over the years. They're not getting it done. And I'm thinking, okay, well, let's take a look at your day and find the best place for you. Where does that fall for you? You know, like I'm a morning person. So for me, I have to do my quiet time in the morning. It's the first thing I do when I wake up. If I waited till the night, my brain like shuts off and shuts down at like eight o'clock. Like I'm done. If I sit on the couch and I finally sit on the couch, I'm like, I'm not getting up. Like I'm done, you know? So I'm most productive in the morning when I wake up. But the point is we have to manage our time, okay? We have to be um, careful so that we can accomplish the things that we need to accomplish in our, in our life, especially when it comes to discipleship. And we see Jesus doing the same thing. He manages his time. He wakes up early. He stays up late. Um, he's intentional. He goes out. He um, seeks that quiet place so that he can just be alone. Now, on occasion, I think this is important to note. On occasion, Jesus tried to go and do this and he was interrupted. Okay, so we all know life brings its interruptions, correct? Um, in one particular case, um, right before the feeding of the 5,000, the Bible says in Matthew 14, 13 and 14, when Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when they went ashore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them and healed their sick. So he gets into the boat and he goes to seek a remote place to be alone. He wants to be with the father, just kind of decompress, right? And all the people said, oh, no, you don't, you know? And so they beat him there. They're there, all this massive crowd of people. And so he gets out of the boat and he could have said, you know what? I've got an appointment. I'm going to a remote place to be alone with the father, right? I'll be back in a little bit. He doesn't do that. It says, and I love this, he had compassion on them. The gospel is full of Jesus having compassion. Like the two themes I've been like in my own personal quiet time as I'm reading, two things that have really been sticking out to me this year is the compassion of Christ and how everything, like we need to be motivated by love above all else. Like everything that should drive our actions should be loved. Like that's just two personal things the Lord's been showing to me over and over again. But we see here he had compassion. And so he's totally interrupted from what he really wanted to do. And what immediately happens after this is the feeding of the 5,000. So he had not had his quiet time that day. But yet Jesus empowers him. I mean, God empowers Jesus and all the disciples to feed 12,000 people. And like this miraculous thing that takes place. Um, and then it says in, four, in, verse, in verse 23 of, of Matthew 14, after dismissing the crowds, so he feeds the 5,000, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So he tried remote place to be alone originally. Well, that didn't happen. Um, so now what he does is he dismisses the crowd. And what does he do? The first thing he does, he goes and spends time with the father because that's what he, that's what his heart's desire was, right? So the importance of this is not legalism. Okay. It is interruptions are going to come and interruptions are going to go. I mean, that's just the way life is. Um, Kay Warren says in her book, Sacred Privilege, that she thinks the concept we need to grasp is not, sometimes the interrupted is not as important as the interrupter. 
Isn't that good? Like, I mean, if you're being interrupted for a reason, like we seek and we strive to have this daily time, a regular rhythm to our life as we spend time with Jesus, but things are going to happen, you know, and that we're, we're not going to be able to be, um, to maybe achieve it on that particular day or the seasons of life. And I believe there's grace in those seasons that are really, really busy, but I do believe this is something that we should strive for. Like it should be a priority because it's driven from a passion. Okay. So example of this, I had a couple, I have a couple examples. I'll, I'll give you the more cheerful one. Um, so I, um, I, my sister, we went through like a real whew, um, thing with her over the last couple of years. Anyway, she got married. She has four kids, but she's, she got married and um, we love this guy. But anyway, she, I'm four years older than her and we've always kind of had a little bit of a, you know, we're like completely different, but we love each other, but you know, but it's, so she asked me to be the matron of honor. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, of course, you know. And so I flew in for the weekend of the wedding and because um, we're from Louisiana. And I get there or whatever, and I'm on there. I get there on the Thursday. So all day Friday, we're doing wedding stuff. And then on Saturday's the, the ceremony, the wedding. And we did everything we needed to do on Friday. I mean, we decorated the church, we decorated the fellowship hall, we did centerpieces, I did bows. I mean, I did things I didn't even know I could do. Um, as a matron of honor, you know? And so I did all, we did everything on Friday. And so I was like, this is awesome because on Saturday I was going to sleep in a little, but I set my clock for 7.30 and I was like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do my quiet time. I'm going to drink my coffee. Like this is going to be a good day. And then we didn't need to be at the church until 11.30. So, um, I normally wake up at five. So sleeping until 7.30 is really good for me. Okay. So I was like really excited. And so I set my clock and as my clock is going off, my phone is ringing. And so I'm like, hmm. So I look down, what's my sister? And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. Like when the bride calls super early, the day of the wedding, something's wrong. And so I'm like, hello, you know? And she's like, I don't mean to wake you up, but um, they gave me the wrong veil. And I'm like, they did what? She's like, they gave me the wrong veil. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, so I should come and get it and exchange it for you, right? And she's like, yes. And so I'm like, okay. Well, she had picked the veil up in March, okay? I mean, this was like last month. And so I'm like, she apparently never took it out the bag, so it's the wrong veil, okay? So I'm like, okay. So I wake up, no makeup, I fix my coffee, no quiet time. I jump in my car and I head out the 25 minutes to get the veil from her because she's getting her hair done at a salon 25 minutes away. So I go and I get the veil and I go back the 25 minutes to my mom's house and I get myself ready. I call the shop and I'm like, hey, she's, this is the wrong veil. The wedding's in a couple hours. You know, I need to come and get it. And they're like, well, she picked it back up in March. I'm like, apparently she didn't take it out the bag and it's the wrong one. And so they're like, okay, we have it in stock. Come get it. So then I drive the 30 minutes to the bridal shop in the opposite direction, exchange the veils, which they steamed for me, which was really nice. And then I drive the 30 minutes back, pick up my mom, and then drive the 25 minutes to the church. And we made it there at like 1140, which is awesome. Um, but the whole point is I did not read my Bible that day. I set my clock. That was the intention. I was going to get up, have an easy, breezy morning, you know, and spend some time with the Lord. I didn't get to accomplish that. And could I have told her, hey, you got to wait a little bit, you know, like I'll be there, you know, after I finish reading my Bible. Um, I could have done that, but I was there to serve her that weekend. 
right? And I mean, I wanted to love her. I wanted to do what she needed. I just really had, I, I wanted that. That was my desire was to be of service to her. It's a big thing. And so I didn't read my Bible that day. And so the Lord, I mean, he knew that. I mean, it, he wasn't mad at me, you know, so I'm not talking about legalism. And I think that's important for us to remember. And it's also important to communicate to people that we're going to be walking alongside life with, you know, that um, the time we spend with Jesus is something that's driven from a love and a passion that we have for him. And the more we do that, the more we're obviously going to love him and want to do that. So um, interruptions are going to come, but this is something we seek and strive for. Um, so I've told you before, I get up at 5 a.m. I do that because I have to beat my kids up. You know, they start school at 7.30, so it's pretty early. And so I wake up at 5, and I have my time from about 5 to about 6.10. And my kids set their alarm for 6.10, and then they you know, come down the stairs and, uh, alarms work really well for them. Like I used to have to like get them up and it's like, you know, come on, get up. And that didn't work well. Now that alarm goes off and man, they are down the stairs within like 30 seconds and they like to watch TV before school. So they know if they wake up at 6:10, they have about an hour before we have to leave to go to school so that they, you know, watch their little TV shows or whatever. But I just know that I'm not going to get any time in, like I can't go drop them off and then come back and do my quiet time. I just, it's a thing for me. I just wake up, I do it right then and there. Um, and then I go, you know, the rest of the day starts. And the boys know I'm not getting up out of my chair until I'm done, like 6.10. You know, that's about, you know, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little less. And they'll come down the stairs and they crawl in my lap and we talk about how they slept that night and, you know, all those things. But one of the things, reasons why I want to be in that spot every single day is because when they come down those stairs for years and years to come, Every morning that they came down to go to school, where did they see mom? In her chair with her Bible. Every single, like I want that image to stick in their minds forever. And I want them to understand like mom was a woman of the word. Like she just enjoyed having her time with Jesus every day. And I want them to remember that. I want them, I want that to speak to them without me saying, look what I'm doing today. Guess what I read, you know, which I mean, we do share things that we read, but I'm not like beating them over the head with this. I just, I'm just modeling it for them. Um, and I'm wanting them to get that and then have that image in their head for like the rest of their lives. You know, that, that that's something that I did and I made a priority. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I think, you know, our actions, obviously our words speak, but our actions also speak too. So, um, First, that was the, the first point was that we need a consistent routine. Number two, you need and you should live in constant community. Constant community. We need constant community in our lives. Now, Jesus ministered in four different groups. Five if you consider one-on-one -on -one encounters. Um, and you've probably heard this before. Obviously, first he taught in the crowds. Now, we don't have a whole lot of examples of this um, in Scripture. We have the feeding of the 4,000. We have the feeding of the 5,000. We have um, the Sermon on the Mount. And outside of those, we don't really have a whole lot of examples um, of him teaching in large crowd masses of people. Okay, so, but he did do it. I mean, so we have that he ministered in the crowds. He ministered in what we call the congregation. So at the end of his life in Acts 1, after he has ascended, do you remember how many people are in the room? 120. Okay, so that would be like a congregation size. You know, like he, he obviously taught them. He had 120 people following him um, at the end of his life. So we know that he ministered to those. 
Um, third, we have the 12 disciples. This is where he spent 90% of his time with, with 12 men who would eventually change the world. Now, he invested his life into them. I mean, they were community for him. They lived with them. They traveled with them. They gave him places to stay. Um, they ministered together, you know, alongside of one another. I mean, this was his tribe. You know, this was his community. And um, what's awesome is he didn't even stop with the 12. He brought three of them into a little, a, a closer circle, into, you know, an inner core group, Peter, James, and John. So there are multiple accounts in scripture where we see Peter, James, and John present when the other disciples were not. And so a few of those would be like the um, healing of Peter's mother-in-law was one of them, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane account, the healing of Jairus's daughter. I think there's another one or two, but these, those three were just a part of a little of an inner group. So we would call that a D group. You know, that's what we call them at our church and in our ministry, a discipleship group, which is consists of like three to six ish um, men with men, women with women. And so um, that's what Jesus had. He had this group and um, the, the pattern of his life is that he lived in community. He lived in constant community. Did he break away to spend time with the father by himself? Absolutely. But in a lot of those verses we read earlier, also the disciples were present with him. So he's modeling for them too. Like he spent his whole entire life modeling what it should look like for us to spend time with him. You know, if you, if you, if you look at it that way, these men knew Jesus well. I mean, I think today we have a problem letting people know who we are. And we always say the gospel, we've gotten good at sharing the gospel. We can give a gospel pitch, but we're not good at sharing our lives with people, you know, like, that vulnerability and that transparency that needs to come and that open and honest relationship and um, that face-to-face -face time, you know, we're not, we're not as good with that. You know, in our society, I mean, we, we stay busy, we stay plastered to screens, you know, I mean, that's just the culture in which we live. And um, we have to like break out of that mold, right? And so um, just something to keep in mind, you know, and you know, I could get on the soapbox about this and I won't do it, but um, just, I'll just say we, we share the best of our lives on social media and then, but like, what, like the real stuff, you know, we need to get to the real and, um, that's not stuff everybody's blasting out on social media. And it's like, I've got a thing about social media. Like I'm on it, you know, and, um, I post pictures and, and I'll do different things. I'm not a consistent, like I get in and out of seasons of posting or whatever, but like, I have a real big thing about like when we spend more time developing our Facebook status or our Twitter posts to be the most catchy or the most, um, I don't want to say offensive, but you know, like, you know how some people will like want to just shock, like that shock factor of what they post. And I'm like, when we spend more time doing that than we do spending in the word of God, like there's a huge problem there. You know, there's a huge problem. And, um, anyway, it just kind of gets to me, but, um, we need to be about the business of sharing our life with people and being real because that is what our world wants. They want realness. They want authenticity. Um, they don't want my life's all great all the time, you know, because I mean, that's not, they just, that's not what they want. They want, they want truth and, um, and realness. And so that's something we have to keep in mind. And Jesus, I mean, they saw Jesus in suffering. They saw Jesus in private, you know, and his, public and private life matched. 
which is our, our should as well. Um, so we need consistent routine, we need constant community, and that brings us to the last point, which is you need a continual plan. You need a continual plan. Now I gave you one of my mottos earlier, you have to manage your time or your time will manage you. Well, my second one is if you fail to plan, you can plan to fail. So um, I'm real big on planning. Um, now, how many of you go to the grocery store with a list? How many of you don't? Okay, you're awesome. Like, if you can go to the grocery store and totally wing it, I envy you because that is not me. Like, it would be overwhelming. I'd be like, okay, what do I need? Where do I go? So I make my list and I list it in order that it appears in the store. Okay? Because the second thing is I don't want to backtrack. Like, if I start in the produce, I don't want to forget something and get all the way over to the cold stuff and have to go back. Like, I don't want to do, I ain't got time for that. Like, I'm managing my time here, right? I'm going through the grocery store. Um, and grocery store is one thing I cannot stand to do. Like, I really, I like to cook, but something about going to the grocery store and spending all that money just gets me so, like, I don't have, I don't want to do this, but I have, you have to do it. But anyway, that's just how I function. I have a plan for, for everything. I mean, you come to me with the problem, I'm going to say, let's come up with the plan, you know? And, um, and so that's just how I work. And, and I feel like if I don't, if I don't manage my time and, and make my plans, things are just not going to get done, right? And so discipleship works the same way. There are times where you can kind of wing it. Obviously, you want to be free um, and be led by the Spirit. So your plan is not always going to go exactly how you want. But overall, you need a plan. And so what do I mean by that? You need to come up with, um, you need a personal plan first, and then you're also, you need a plan for your discipleship group. The most effective way to do your discipleship group is to take your personal plan and do it with a group. Okay, so your personal plan, what do I mean? You need to have a regular time with the Lord, whether it's morning, midday, night, wherever it is. Um, I had a lady once came to me and she uh, was meeting with her in a discipleship group with a group of girls, and she's like, I'm having trouble, you know, fitting all this in. And I said, okay, well, let's look at your day and figure out um, maybe the best time frame for you. And so I'm like, what about meeting with the Lord in the morning when you wake up? And she's like, well, no, you know, I work out in the morning because if I don't work out, it's not going to get done. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, what about car line? You know, like everybody, if you have kids, you're sitting, most likely you're sitting in car line, um, either before or after school. So I'm like, Can, what about when you're sitting in car line in the morning to drop your kids off? Could you like listen to the Bible or something like that? She's like, well, normally I'm putting my makeup on in car line. So I'm like, okay. We got to do that. You know, I'm like, okay, what about lunch? You know, do you have a lunch break? You know, and she's like, yeah, you know, she's like, I, I only have about 30 minutes. So it's really not enough time to eat and do what I need to do. And all. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, what about when you put the kids to bed at night? Like, what do you do at that point? And she's like, well, I sit down with my husband and we watch a couple hours of TV. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, okay, this is important. Like spending time with your husband is important. Robbie and I watch a show every night together. Most of the time it's Dateline um, or 48 Hours or some kind of crime show. And um, like we don't watch the fake crime shows. We're watching the real deal, right? The real deal. Um, so I've got like law enforcement in my blood. But um, so anyway, you know, that's what I do that too, you know? And I mean, it's important to spend time with our husband. That's like, but if you have only two hours in a 24 hour day period and, um, do you think you could take 30 minutes of that and do your quiet time and then watch an hour and a half of TV? You know, point. Was it a priority? I don't think so. You know, so 
we, we're going to make time for the things we have, in, you know, that are a priority. So you got to have a plan, you know, that she was that person. She needed to schedule a time and stick with it. Okay. So we need to have a plan. You need to sit down and you need to figure out when is the best time for me to spend time where I can like actually accomplish this every day, my regular time with the Lord. Second, we need a place that we can go. Um, you know, when Jesus, we saw he went on the mountain, he went to deserted places, he went to gardens. Um, you know, where is that for you? Like for me, it's in my sitting room, in my little chair is where I go every single, like if I'm on vacation, it may be on the balcony at the beach or it may be in, you know, wherever. But you, you have a place that you want to go to hear from God, okay? Um, you need a reading plan, okay? You need a Bible reading plan that you're going through for your personal quiet time. Not a Bible study, not a book. Books are fantastic. Bible studies are awesome. I mean, we have God's gifted men and women to teach that way and praise God for them. But when you are spending time with the Lord and you're wanting to hear from him yourself, you need a Bible reading plan that you're going to read through. Not somebody, what somebody else has heard from God. Like the Spirit of God lives in you and wants to speak to you through the Word. So you need a Bible reading plan. Now there are tons of plans out there. I mean, there are historical, chronological. Um, you can do Old Testament, New Testament, and Psalms. You can do book by book. You name it, they're out there. Um, Robbie and I came up with the Foundations F260 plan some years ago because people, we found that people weren't having success in reading. Like they were feeling defeated reading certain plans. And we wanted something that would read easily a couple of chapters a day so that you could have success in the reading plan. So it's a free plan. You can go to replicate.org and get it. Uh, Lifeway partnered with us. There's also books out there, but um, it's just, it reads five out of seven days a week, two chapters a day. There's scripture memory included if you want to memorize scripture, which is essential to the discipleship process. So it's out there if you want it, but you need a plan. Whatever plan that you want to read, you need a personal plan there, a reading plan. And then you need to allow others into your life, okay? Um, now, we've seen that from Jesus's life. He modeled that for us. So when, you're, when you have this plan that you're kind of adapted your personal plan, the most effective way um, you're gonna accomplish this is by asking three to six people to join you on this process. So if you're a woman, you're asking women. If you're a man, you're asking men. And you tell them, would you be interested in meeting in a discipleship group, you know, for 12 to 18 months, whatever you choose. Um, we're gonna read this Bible reading plan together. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna journal a couple times a week. Journaling is essential to the discipleship process. I could spend a whole session on that, but um, I'll tell you just a few. If you don't write it down, you're not gonna remember. You're not, it's just not. And so how are you gonna communicate to other people what you've learned if you don't write it down? So journaling is essential. If you don't have a method for journaling, write down here, H-E-A-R, H-E-A-R. Highlight, explain, apply, and respond. Highlight, explain, apply, and respond. Super simple, you read through, um, you read through and um, whatever verse sticks out to you, you write that down for your H, your highlight. Um, if you underline your Bible, you underline it. Your E would be to explain what is going on in that chapter around those verses. And then your A was, what does that mean for me today? You know, how do I apply this to my life? And then your R is your response. So when my groups get together every week, I ask them to journal twice a week. 
um, minimum. I mean, obviously, if they want to journal every day, praise the Lord, I want them to do that. I journal most of the time more than that, and most of the girls do too. And then what we do is when we get around and we're sitting around, we're, that's what we're sharing. I mean, that's the crux of the meeting. Like, what did God say to you? What did you hear from him this week? And so it's very important. So what you want to do is we, we journal twice a week. I mean, I, I did a training the other day where they do um, their groups journal five days a week. So it's whatever, as a leader, I mean, I'm asking the girls to do twice. I think that's manageable. I don't think that that's something people can't fit into their schedule. So, um, but that, that would be part of, you know, when you're sitting around a group with a group of men and women, you're sharing what you heard from the Lord and then we memorize scripture. So that's essential to the process. If you pick a plan out there that doesn't have scripture memory options, then you choose the verses. You could come up with a list of verses that you think are great and you want them to, to memorize and you would give them one a week. Um, in the F260, we gave two options because we wanted you to be able to have um, a couple of years worth of scripture memory options. Um, this group, this year for my group, um, like we've done longer passages. So we did, we memorized Hebrews 11 and um, I let the girls choose. Like, did they want to do the F260 verses that were listed or did they want to do a longer passage? Because you want them to do something that they're going to remember, like something that you know, sticks. I've done them years before where we all do the same thing and that's awesome too. But this year I just gave a little freedom. They're like, Hey, what do you want to memorize? So one, one girl has just been so challenged by Proverbs 31. So that's what she's camping out on. I'm doing James one right now. Um, a couple of them are doing the F260 verses. So, but we're all memorizing something. And when we show up, we say our verses to one another. Now, when you're memorizing longer passages, you can't all come in and quote Hebrews 11 because it's going to take you the whole entire time. So we send it to each other on like a video app called Marco Polo. You know, there are different ones out there where you record like a little tiny video and that's how we submit our verses when they get to be really long um, because we would take up our whole time, you know, quoting it. Um, but that's how we say accountable too. And so, you know, if you, you post the video and then we can go on there and listen and kind of encourage you or whatever. Um, okay, so you need a Bible reading plan, you need scripture memory, you need journaling and... Um, I don't think I gave you some of the reasons for journaling, but I think I just told you that you'll, if you don't write it down, you're going to forget it. And so um, the heartbeat of discipleship is to not just have information, but to obey the information that you have. So by journaling, that also helps you to obey. Like, okay, I need to apply this. What do I do? What do I need to do now? Like, what's my response because of what I've learned? So that um, I can give you a couple more reasons for that as well. Um, but the most important thing is the word of the Lord. I mean, centering everything. It is truly the centerpiece that, you know, that's not just a funny or like a cliche saying. I mean, that's the bedrock of everything that we do as disciple makers is centering it on the word of God because that's the only thing that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the only thing that's gonna accomplish the purpose for which God sent it and intended it. So we have to be about the word. Um, it's where we get knowledge, wisdom, and truth. And as life experiences happen, that's where we learn to live out the knowledge, wisdom, and truth that we're getting from the Word of God as, as our life evolves. Um, the Bible says in John 8, 31 through 32, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Love it. Um, now, Jen Wilkins says the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. How can you love something you don't know? Right thinking will lead to right living. Now, LifeWay did an article um, in the summer of 2017 that stated only 25% of church-going adults read their Bible regularly. 25% of church-going 
adults read their Bible regularly and those who do never read more than eight books of the Bible? We could probably guess what those are, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, maybe Genesis, Acts. Um, so, A.W. Tozer said, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. We need the whole counsel of God. The entire thing. And some people, you know, they just really get on fire for the New Testament. And then you got some people who are like Old Testament. Or you're both. Um, Robbie tends to like go to the New Testament. I love the Old Testament. And the reason I love the Old Testament is because it gives me appreciation for the new. Right? And so um, what's really cool is so that we just came out with a, a New Testament F260 plan. So it's a year reading plan through the New Testament. So I'm super excited. I'm a, we're going to be doing that next year. And so in the works will be an Old Testament plan eventually. And then um, a couple other plans we're working on. So, but, but the whole point is just reading plans. Like how can we read the Bible and understand his word more? Like I want to do a prophet's plan. I mean, how many, how many people don't understand the prophets? You don't know the contemporaries. Who was, who was speaking at this point? Were they speaking to Israel or Judah, the northern or the southern kingdom? Like, what happened there? Like, we don't get all of that. And so it would be so cool to have a plan that, you know, walked you through that, a Bible reading plan. Um, anyway, the point is that our society today, and especially, obviously, the world, but our churches are not literate of the Bible right? We're anemic when it comes to that. So we have to be about the business of being in the word so that we can, we can know the word. Um, I tell people all the time, it's the word versus the world, right? Every time, everything the world is teaching us needs to be filtered through the word, right? And the word should be what comes to our minds, um, as we're living. Um, I'll share this last, um, this last, uh, illustration and I've got two and I'm debating on which one to share with you. Um, I'll share this one. Okay, so we have a farm. What time do we done here, 9.15? Oh, 9.30, we got time, okay. Um, all right, so we have a farm, we have six acres right up north of Nashville. And um, we have like, <laughs> Robbie came to me, he's like, hey, you know, I wanna get some goats or something. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, city raised, pastor husband wants to be a farmer on the side. And so I'm like, mm. And I said, you can get anything you want. I said, but I'm not taking care of it. Like, that's my only stipulation. So whatever you get either has to take care of itself or you and the boys have to take care of it because like I have no time to take care of animals at all. Like I have two canines in the house, Annie and Nola, and I have two boys, Rig and Ryder, and that's my responsibility. And I'm like, other than that, I can't do it. So whatever you do, you just have to take care of it. So he's like, okay. So we ended up with like, I think we have like four goats now maybe four sheep. We had to get a mini donkey because that keeps the coyotes away. Uh, and then, um, and then this, this, this story I'm about to tell you, Daisy, the donkey didn't do what she was supposed to do. So then we had to get a great Pyrenees to keep the coyotes away. And so anyway, we have a whole slew of animals out there and they graze the land and stuff like that. Well, one day we're inside, it was a Sunday after church, and Robbie was on the couch watching a football game. Rig was sick, so he was sleeping, which he never does, but he's sleeping next to me. And Robbie paused the game for a minute, and I heard like this like screaming, and I'm thinking, what? Like almost like a kid screaming, and I'm like, what is that noise? And I jumped up, and I go, and I look out the window, and it's one of our sheep, like just like screaming to the top of her lungs, and she's running, and there's something in the fence chasing her. 
And I'm like, something's in our fence. Like, we're, it's fenced in. So how did something get in, you know? And so I'm like, Robbie, you got to go down there. Like, it looks like a dog or something is in the, the fence. And so it's freezing outside. So he hops up. He has to get all of his stuff on. And then him and Ryder, he gets his little BB gun. Him and Ryder jump in the ATV and haul down there. So I'm looking and watching this dog just chasing Lottie, who is our sheep, Lottie Moon. Um, and she's um, running around. Well, the, the dog runs her straight into the fence. So Lottie doesn't see like the fence and ends, what ends up happening is it breaks her neck, but we don't know that at the time. So she, I see her fall. And so, and the dog's like gnawing at her still. Like, you know, she's, it's just like the little dog, you know, and she's nap, napping at Lottie and Lottie's trying to move and like drag her legs, but she can't get up. And so I'm out running down the driveway with like socks on my feet, like clapping as loud as I can, trying to get this dog to like leave her alone, you know? And then all of a sudden the owner of the dog is screaming for the dog. So she's aware that the dog's in our fence. And now, now the owner's in our fence somehow. And, um, calling for the dog. Robbie's doing donuts out by the dog to get the dog away. So when the dog, when Robbie cuts the donut to get the dog away, the dog runs back to the other side of the fence where Daisy and the rest of the crew are. So they had stayed like huddled in a little pack. So I'm thinking I'm gonna have to jump the fence and get this dog like away from hurting our other sheep, right? So finally, Robbie's able, the, the, the owner's able to get the dog. And um, Robbie's like, ma'am, if, if this dog gets in our fence again, I'm going to kill it, you know. And I'm like, remember, you're a pastor. <laughs> and, you know, you just ruined our shot to minister to this woman. Um, and so, no, it was fine. She was totally okay with it. But, you know, you know, it was just crazy. Well, what happens is, so Lottie breaks her neck. And so he, we have to put her down because there's just, there's no recovering from that, right? And so I'm thinking, why didn't Daisy do what she was supposed to do? That's the whole reason we had her, was like she was supposed to scare off the, pe the people away, you know? Like, why didn't she buck the little dog away, you know? And then I realized she stayed with the pack. And so as long as the pack was all together around her, they were fine. But it was when Lottie got off by herself that the dog was able to attack her. And then, um, and so that's discipleship, right? Like if we get off by ourselves, I mean, Satan's waiting. He is waiting for us. Um, and that dog kept nipping at her. Even when she was down, that dog kept nipping at her. And it, that Satan does the same thing. You know, he's going to keep on us and keep on us. But yet when we're in that constant community and being surrounded by people that we're living life with, it's not going to cure everything and it's not going to prevent every person from falling or anything like that, but it sure does minimize those things. It sure does. And it keeps us in a spiritual, healthy state um, when we're doing that. And so it's just something to kind of keep in our mind. We do, we make disciples and we are disciples, um, not just because it's the thing to do, but it's because that's how we grow closer to Jesus. It's how we're transformed into his image. Um, and it's how we survive and thrive in, in our life and in our society today. So um, that's pretty much all I have for you today. So what I'd like to do is if you, ha if you have any questions, like any practical questions about discipleship or something maybe you've encountered in your groups or anything like that that I could help you with um, or I could try to help you with, 
Do you have a question? Yes. Right. Um, that's a good question. That, uh, no, not necessarily. So I have, a lot of times my groups will kind of be the same age and stage of life. But, you know, this year I have a lady, she's in her 60s. And then I have um, a couple that are in their mid-40s. Um, couple in our 30s and then one that's in her 20s so it's it's you know it's all different but um, you know some people will feel more comfortable having you know some that are a little bit younger than them or around their same age and then some people like to change it up and have a variety and so it really I just tell people to pray and look at their areas of influence that they already have and like where has God already given you a passion and um, pray about seeking after those women. Yeah, that's a good question. No, we don't do that. Now, sometimes I think that would be up to an individual leader. Like if they felt like, hey, for this season, I don't need to lead and I want to, you know, uh, just kind of be poured into. But the way the group is supposed to function is even though they're like my group's looking to me as the leader, I'm learning just as much from them as they're learning from me. So we're discipling one another really and truly, even though they look to me, um, you know, as, the, as their leader. And so if all the groups are kind of functioning that way, um, someone shouldn't feel like they're pouring everything they have out and not getting anything also in. Does that make sense? Um, so, but yeah, we will have, I mean, we have some people who will just, they don't even feel ready to lead yet. So they may go to, into different discipleship groups. Um, I haven't heard of too many leaders like going back and like participating and not leading, but that's not to say that there wouldn't be a season that somebody would need to do that for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we have a covenant and, um, and so I have a covenant. I mean, I've been doing this for years. So like I've kind of figured out what I expect from the ladies. And so I have it bullet pointed and, you know, listed, I have in there, John eight, um, 31, 32, you know, if you continue my word, you really are my disciples. That's kind of like our verse. And then I have in there, you know, attendance like you know I want you to show up every week um, obviously things are going to come up and I'm not going to be you know mad at you because you can't come but um, I want them to know this is a priority um, I have in there listed the plan that we're going to read how many times we're going to journal we read extra books together and how many books we're going to read so I have everything that I'm going to do with them as much as I know um, listed there and then we sign that they sign it I sign it and they sign it obviously after they've prayed about it and that's just to say, hey, I know what I'm fully committing to. There's no surprises here. Um, by signing that, they're allowing me to speak into their life. Um, so like if, if we meet together and we have to talk about something, you know, they, they've signed on for that basically by um, looking over this covenant. And so that would be um, expectation wise. As far as, what was your other question? Um, well, a pitch. Selection yeah. So we always like when you're looking for someone, you've, you've heard like the term, the fat Christian, faithful, available and teachable. Okay. And so um, if you want to say the faith Christian, faithful, available, intentional, teachable and hungry. So like you're looking for some of those, you know, is this someone who regularly attends corporate worship? Right. Is this person a believer? Um, you know, so you're looking for someone like, Hey man, she's hungry. She wants to grow. You know, the Lord's just really doing something like you're looking for those types of things. And so that's kind of like your characteristics that you're looking for. And then obviously when you meet with them and say, Hey, this is what we're going to accomplish together. Why don't you pray about this and then see if that's something that they, you know, are interested in doing or whatever. That would be kind of simple. No. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've had, or, and, and it may not be because they don't want to, but 
as a leader, I come up with the time that's convenient for me, right? Not everybody's going to be able to do that time. You know, if someone works during the day or works on Wednesday nights or whatever the case may be, it may just not work out for them to, to meet that particular season or to meet with me. It may need, you know, somebody else. So a lot of things can help weed out that, what, who the group ends up needing to be kind of a thing. I think, did you have a question? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it just kind of depends on the needs of the ladies or whatever. But I've had multiple over the years, someone will come and say, you know, I'm, they're not fitting to get in. And that's when I say, okay. But I mean, I, I come up, with, I mean, I had a lady come to me and say she felt convicted about smoking. So I helped her come up with a plan. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's kick it. You know, let's, you know, let's come up with this plan. You know, you're going to smoke less than whatever. I got, so it doesn't matter what it is. If somebody has an issue, we're going to sit down and say, okay, what do we need to do? I mean, people come to you, they'll confess sin, right? I mean, I had someone, um, you know, who had had an affair with a married man that none of us knew about, and she confessed. And so, you know, we, we worked on that. And then, you know, months later, there was another problem with something else. And so it was like, okay, we've got to put a plan into place here to keep you, you know, um, out of sin and then eventually she wasn't willing to do that so she I had to ask her to leave the group but um so yeah I mean it just depends on what their problems are uh, you know and how honest they are with you too in developing plans for them but um time management would be a real big thing teaching them how to journal you know like you want to you want to provide as many tools and eliminate as many excuses as you can right so like i give them access to the reading plan i teach them how to do a here journal that way there's no question as like you're not out there floating around not knowing what to do like we're gonna we're gonna do all this together so that they feel fully confident like when you're ready to start and kind of proceed through the process yes i have a couple of examples my covenant's a little longer but there are some that are just super simple too and so you know there are a couple of examples in the book and um and so you'd be able to like look i also think robbie has one in the back of growing up um that's yeah and it's just like you know short and sweet you know what i mean like attendance and stuff like that so and that's something that you over the years you can kind of tweak to to make your own you know verses that you want and stuff like that right it's so good that you're doing i mean that that's a pivotal point in time in, um, in lives, you know, is that co those college years. And so to have that foundation, um, I just encourage you in that. That's, um, uh, it's wonderful to hear. Oh yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yes. Yeah. Like, a, um, kind of like a Sunday school life group type. Is that what you're asking? Yes. Okay. So that's our life groups. And so we have life groups that meet on campus, like on Sunday morning. And then we also have life groups that meet in the home. And so that like, we have a life group that meets in our home, our life group, like every, life group would be like co-ed right and so um and they're a little bit larger and so we do our particular group does twice a month um so we don't meet every single week we do twice a month they're sermon-based groups so we discuss notes from the sermon and like just kind of reiterating what we've learned instead of trying to learn something new um so we're just maximizing what we've been taught and then um, our d groups meet every week and that could be in the home or you know we meet like in a little sitting area at the church or where, you know, wherever they chose to. Um, okay, so I typically do a group every year, 12 months. This, my particular group that I have this year, we're gonna do 18 months. I would not suggest going over 18 months and sometimes even 18 months is very challenging to keep them motivated till the very end because they're really at that point, after a year, they're ready to kind of replicate. 
The reason I'm keeping this one till 18 months is I'm trying to get on a schedule from August to May instead of January through December because we meet on at the church and all activities shut down over the summer. So like there's no childcare, like there's no activities for kids and that sort of thing. And it ends up producing this gap that we're, I'm trying to eliminate. You see what I'm saying? So I want to be on a schedule where I start in August and I go all the way like through the school year almost until June or whatever. And then that way um, we won't feel like we're having like this three month gap where we're not seeing each other all the time. But so in order to do that, I've asked the girls if they want to stay, you know, together until um, for 18 months. So we started in January. We'll go all the way till next, till June. Yeah, that's a good question. So it's in there. Uh, the very last bullet point says, um, you know, I will prayerfully consider replicating this process, you know, in the end, or I'm not sure exactly how I've worded it, but they know from the front that there's an expectation to replicate. And I tell them, don't worry about that right now. Like this is for you. And eventually it will become through you for others. But right now, you know, I don't want you to like focus on that. And so sometimes you have people who are really gun shy about that. And then you have others who are just, you know, they just need a little training. They're ready to go kind of a thing. But everybody knows that's the expectation. So what I do with the groups is all along the way, I start letting them lead, you know, in our group. And so like that starts in the very beginning as we share testimonies. So, you know, people don't realize they're becoming a leader when they're sharing their life. And so they're opening their mouth, they're talking, they're letting people in, right? And so we start off, you know, probably around February, somewhere around there, sharing testimonies. And then like we'll move from there, you know, a couple months later, we read books together. So I may put somebody in charge of leading our book discussion while I'll, you know, lead journal discussion and scripture memory, but we'll maybe split some time in there. Then towards the end of the year, I will have them come in and lead our whole entire night. And we do that, once we start that rotation, from that point on, it's a full rotation. So like that's actually where we are right now because these ladies, they didn't need to ease into it. They were kind of ready. And so they've all just got through leading their first entire um, night, and which is awesome. And so now from this point on, from now until we wrap up, they will all, we will stay in that rotation. And then that way, when we replicate, they cannot say, I cannot do what she just did because they've done it multiple times. They've led the group, they've kept on track of time, or if they didn't, we didn't finish something that we needed to, you know what I mean? Like they, they start to learn as they're experiencing leading the group and facilitating. And it's awesome because you see everybody's personality come out. And then at the end of the time, like I think this particular group, every one of them is gonna replicate. Um, last year, um, I think probably half replicated. and. One particular girl, I mean, she's fully capable, but she just keeps wanting to be in a group. I think it's her season of life. Like she's just wanting to just young kids and that sort of thing. Um, so I would say, I think every group, there's like a statistic out there and I don't know the number of it, like as far as replicates concern, like organization, as far as how many are actually replicating. Um, I don't know what that percentage is, but I would say, just in my own personal groups, the majority of them do replicate. Every now and then you'll have someone who maybe doesn't need to based on what's going on in their life. And then, um, but I would say it's definitely over 50%. I just don't know what that 
number would be. Yeah. So like what we do, if I, if I was meeting with them from January to December in August, we would start praying about who they would be meeting with that following year. And I tell them to keep a list like in their phone or somewhere where they're praying through people and to, to do that for a few months and just kind of see what the Lord does. You know, maybe he brings new people or maybe that person joins somebody's group and you know, it kind of, that process begins to take care of itself. And then what I'll do is when we get to around November, I'll tell them, hey, it's about time to start contacting these ladies to see, you know, are they interested in meeting? And then let them pray about it a little bit. Then you come back together. And then that way you have like the month of December to at least meet with them one time, go over the covenant. Hey, this is what we're gonna do together. So that first week of January, you're ready to roll kind of a thing. So yeah, I just try to walk with them through that process. Cause if, you, if we don't, they one won't know what to do and most of them won't do it. You know what I mean? Because they're gonna be like, what do I do, what do I do? But if you walk them through that process, they will nine times out of 10 replicate. Right, that, all that's in my book. <laughs> Cause I would have a lot of people come to me and say, hey, do you have a brochure? And I'm like, no. And um, this is what's funny is I'm not a writer. That's what's hilarious. I mean, it's like, I'm still, my mind is still blown that I have a book coming out in a couple months. But, so it's all in there. That's the only place I know of right now other than you emailing me and me sending you something. Um, replicate.org would probably have some resources and information on there as well. Um, but there a lot of that like format, you know, like how you structure your, your hour and a half together, all that's in there. Um, what we do, I teach here journaling method in there, um, how we replicate, how what I was just telling him, how we walk through that process of them kind of owning what they're doing. Um, a lot of what we talked about today is in there. So a lot of it, it's kind of a, the point of the book is that it would be a reference tool for years to come. Like you could pick it up and say, okay, where am I at in this process? Am I remembering this or that sort of thing? And really just to help develop your own strategy. You know, we always say discipleship is repeatable. I mean, reproducible, not repeatable. It's reproducible, not repeatable. So it doesn't have to be a cookie cutout of every, you know, um, which is cool when they start leading their, in their own, having their nights, you see those, their little twist on it starting to come and that's really cool you know right yeah I um yes but okay so it takes the intentionality to keep those relationships you know and like if you're gonna see somebody you have to be intentional because at that point they're pouring into other people and developing that um, and if the group is functioning as it should there they have people that they go to for their advice it's their group I mean they're living life with these people so like my group if I'm having an issue or anything like that I'm talking to my group my girls, you know, like they're praying for me today as I'm here, you know what I mean? So we're walking alongside life together. So I don't necessarily feel the need that I need to go contact somebody else because I'm living life with them. However, a lot of these girls that I've discipled, I mean, we're really close friends. So they're in my life, you know, and they are more than welcome to call me and some do and reach out like if they have something or they need an ear. Um, so you just kind of have to be intentional with that, just like everything else. And, you know, sometimes after the group will replicate, if they, f they want to continue meeting for a little bit, I may meet with them once a month, you know, like all together, just to kind of talk through any problems, walk them through the first round of them leading a group together. And then they may not even feel like they need that anymore. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Have you signed up for the next national disciple making forum? 
Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker. Thank you.